0: Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. McNeil. Little Diplo pass it. Hutchison. Here's a long three by Owen. He's back. He's back. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Here's a long three. What is up, guys? This is your host Mark Schindler. First of all, I hope that you are having a good day. Second of all. Uh, this is coming before the regular intro because news drops, of course, 45 minutes after Tom and I were done recording. So I just wanted to get that in here really quick, and I'm going to release this as as quickly as possible so we can get out to you. Uh, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer just reported that Chris Finch is considered the front runner to be the next Pacers head coach. Uh, Chris Finch has been with the Pelicans since 2017. Uh, was with the Nuggets before then. A big part of you know Jokic being implemented in the offense, and uh, if you have not already, Caitlin Cooper wrote a phenomenal piece on Chris Finch and what he could bring to the Pacers. Um, interesting news nonetheless. He also puts his assistants Chris Quinn and Dan Craig will interview with Indiana next. Chauncey Billups and Dave Yeager previously had convos with Indiana, which makes it sound odd like it wasn't necessarily an interview. Uh, just phrasing it as a convo. Maybe you just wanted to use different words. I don't know. Regardless, a little bit. Uh, interesting, trying to divulge from that wording, um, but uh, yeah, that is it certainly changes a little bit of what comes from the episode. But for the most part, Tom and I uh, talk. We d- we did talk about the coaching search, but we do uh, go into quite a bit else. So enjoy the pod, and also there is your news break right beforehand. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler, uh, joined as always by my co-host, Tom Lewis. Before we get started. Uh, I just want to make sure to remind you all that if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review the Indie Cornrows podcast on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere else you can get your podcast. And of course, read us over to Indy Cornrows. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm ah,
1: doing great, Mark. It's a beautiful, sunny fall day. should be perfect. Time for a little preseason NBA. Although I guess we're ways off from that now. So
0: I know I I, I've, I've, I've just decided that <laughs> I can't. I'll just say off season, preseason, in season instead of talking about uh, what it's like outside. Because every time that I say uh, talk about free agency, I say summer, and I'm like, well, you know, actually, oh, yeah. free right. agency starts on in December. So never mind. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy to look at. So, and speaking in terms of other crazy things to look at. Something I was thinking about yesterday and obviously before then when the Lakers won the, the title, um, on a scale of, uh, well, not even on a scale, but just in general, um, <laughs> how how expecting were you of, uh, of Frank Vogel to win a championship before Paul George?
1: Uh, oh, that's a good way to put it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, That was um, not exactly, I'm not exactly a rings culture person. I think it gets highly overrated, but I think if you asked me six years ago, uh, who I thought would win a championship first, I would have, well, I mean, actually I should say five years ago because six years ago, they were still together. But if you asked me like four or five years ago, I would have definitely said Paul George. Uh,
1: definitely. Yeah. Maybe, you know, 18 months ago. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. But, uh,
1: uh even, Heading into the year, I, I kind of felt like the Clippers had their stuff together, um, and and when I saw them playing before the pandemic, when they were turning it on and and the way they defended, I felt like they were going to have the goods when it came down to it. Obviously, they didn't, not even close. Um, and and the Lakers did. Uh, and I'm just so hyped for Frank Vogel, one of the uh, you know nicest guys I've encountered. Uh, covering the Pacers and, and I mean, guys truly, um, you know, kind to everybody he runs into of all walks of life, um, in this job. And, yeah. and, um, I, I appreciate the way he always goes about his business. And I know that, you know, with, with that Laker team, it was assumed, oh, you know, it's LeBron's team anyone could coach that team. Uh, but, you know, you got to give Frank credit. And I, I talk about how I felt the, Clippers had an advantage because of their defensive makeup. Um, and, I mean, you saw just in that final game six, Frank had those guys playing defense. And, um, yep, they had two incredible players to do that. But he got them to buy into that. And um, so, I, you know, it was nice to see that his fingerprints were definitely um, on that Larry O'Brien trophy, and, and he deserved it. So um, I'm, I'm real happy to see that for him.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It was, uh, it was really cool to for that that moment for Frank. Obviously, I think, um, I, I never, I, you know, I I wasn't, I was old enough to be covering the team yet when uh, when you were covering the team and, and Frank was here, and uh, I, I always loved Frank though. I mean, he was the coach of like the first team that made me fall in love with basketball, and I always enjoyed his press conferences and, and seeing him talk and, and seeing his quotes in writing. Um, and it's really cool to see uh, him kind of have this because I think. You know, I, I obviously followed his career since you know when he went to Orlando, and um, I think he got a really tough shake there. And that's not me just trying to sound like a homer. I mean, I think that roster. I mean, if you look at where they are now, is still uh, like I mean, they're decent. You know, I think there are pieces there, but um, you look at what that roster they had. I mean, the, the trade they did for Serge Ibaka and Serge was like their best player. Uh, that was just a confusing team, man. And I, I, I can't I don't I don't I can't think of one coach who would have gotten to, to drag that team into the playoffs. So. Um, I think Frank got. Uh, it's just cool seeing him get this opportunity with the Lakers because I know you know at the beginning of the season, everyone was talking about how you know oh he's going to get fired and Jason Kidd's going to be the head coach in in uh, in two or three months and um, so it's just been kind of cool to see and like you mentioned with with him really being a coach, I think there's always that moniker of you know if a, a guy's coaching LeBron James, well really LeBron James is the coach and I think that's true to an extent. But um, I mean, like you like you said, I mean watching that defense, you can totally see some of. Uh, some of Frank's wrinkles on that, and and everything he did to to that, and so yeah, it's just been a cool moment. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever applaud a Lakers championship, but I actually really enjoyed watching yeah. this group. To be honest, I, <laughs> I, I only- thought they were a really fun group to watch play. I, I actually could couldn't stand the Clippers more, to be completely honest with you. Um, but I really, yeah, it's uh kind of crazy yeah. to say that this this first uh first year of being around the NBA and, and writing about it and podcasting about it is over.
1: Yeah, you're right. It, it- Ends in a hurry, and then the next one gets here in a hurry, believe me. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, it gets here a little sooner than we know at this point. That's completely unknown at this point, but yeah, just back, kind of wrap up on Frank a, a little bit, um, I just, I, I love the idea of, you know, after, after the game, he was asked a great question about um, why he was the, the right coach for this group, um, and he mentioned, you know, with all that talent and LeBron James and all that, someone had to had to be in charge of the details, and, and he's, he is the perfect person for that. I mean, that's how he made his bones in the league is developing game plans and, and getting the team to um, focus on, um, you know, where they had advantages game to game. And, he, you know, in that sense, he's a, he's a grinder, and, and he's able to get those details and, and figure out ways to adjust to, you know, put the team in, in uh, good position. And, you know, he even did that in that final game um when he adjusted his starting lineup and and again you know that defense shined through at the uh, at the ultimate moment for him so uh again kudos to frank and i guess the lakers as painful as you say that right? that is to
0: say yeah a little bit a little bit but uh gotta give credit to good basketball man i'll always I'll always appreciate watching a good basketball team play so i, I can't can't fault them yep um so it's interesting too, because it brings up another thing for me. You know, a lot of people have, uh, I got to stop saying just a lot of people. That's a, that's a very sweeping attribution. I have seen people <laughs> say, um, you know, just in regards to, to team building, I know there was a, a report that came out. It was, of course, one of the random GMs or random front office person, you know, that always gets quoted. It's like it just says, uh, an, an anonymous front office source in the league. So, you know, it could be anybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, you know, they talked about, uh, in the quote how they, they're, Their team is planning on, you know, adding, you know, a rotation level big or something like that. And I, I, you know, I think there's been a lot of rumblings of that for teams having to, you know, get larger to play with the Lakers. And I think it brings up a lot of interesting stuff for me, especially in terms of a a, a Pacers team, you know, tying it back to to the team um, that that is trying to be different. And I think, uh, you know, we, we we saw so much of, you know, you can look at in the 90s. Um, all these teams who, who brought in big men or drafted big men because they thought they'd be able to play against Shaq for a couple minutes. Um, and it, lo and behold, it did nothing. Um, and, you know, Again, sweeping generalization. But for the most part, your Todd McCullers and Collins, Collins brothers, basically anybody who played for the Nets for about three years uh, at the center <laughs> position, was absolutely atrocious against Shaq, as were most people, to be fair. Um, but, I mean, you look at also, I mean, everything that happened with Golden State, um, all these teams trying to replicate the the, the the basketball brand that they played but not being able to replicate that because of so, so many of the nuances that make golden State Sp- made golden State special and I'm talking pre durant you know I mean that mm-hmm. team was just phenomenal on both ends I think that's what gets lost for me like their their offense was obviously incredible and you know I think Steph in 2015 uh was just a revelation or I should say yeah it was 20, 2015. Uh, it was just a total revelation, but I think their defense was always what stood out to me, Tom. Cause I think that's the first time that we ever, at least in my life that we saw like the prevalent switching. Cause you think about it, just two years before that Indiana team was like based completely on Roy literally sitting under the basket and he was great at it uh, for until he wasn't. Um, and I mean, David West, hard hedging, like I can't tell you the last time that I saw someone consistently hard hedge um a a ball screen in the last five years like uh, so I mean the 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 game has changed so much and I think what my point is we don't want to try and be like the Lakers or be like that old Golden State team you have to try and find the new brand of playing that suits your team and your personnel best so I think that's something that that's really interesting to me in looking at this Pacers team and where they're headed moving forward and you know it's not like I think that that Kevin Pritchard is too worried about trying to be like the Lakers or anything but um, just in terms of talking to, to some of the people who listen to our podcast. And, um, you know, I think that's some interesting thing to look at in terms of team building and, and, and what the team is doing.
1: Yeah. You're right. You can't, you know, you're not, you're not going to replicate, you know, the, the Warriors and, and that, that shooting combo, a Steph and Clay. And, oh, by the way, as you mentioned, those two guys dedication to doing it on the defensive end was, you know, incredible. I, I mean, Having seen Clay Thompson College, and every, you know, I never thought he would evolve into that type of a two-way player that is just, you know, lethal. And he has. I mean, he, I think he really enjoys the defensive end as much as he does shooting now, the way he has played. Um, and in the same way, when you, when you talk about those Pacers teams with Roy Hibbert and, you know, it was Roy Hibbert and the massive wingspan with all those other guys playing D. And that was their way of being different. Um, and having success that people, you know, more success than most people thought they would have. And getting to those Eastern Conference Finals and giving LeBron and the Heat those those challenges, um, they were playing a little bit different. Um, and then, you know, the rules changed on Roy, and then Roy all of a sudden is flamed out, and, and the whole thing implodes. And so now, you know, now they're in search of, uh, of doing that next thing that, um, is enough different that they can succeed. Uh, you know, they, they kind of have tried the double bigs. You know, we, we you know, talked about that ad nauseum. Really? I can't there, remember
0: the last time we talked about that.
1: I still feel, you know, the ceiling, you know, it, it, I don't think they're going to get there. I mean, those guys are young still, but I think, you know, I, I kind of agree with the approach of oh, the assumption that. That's going to have run its course, and and they're trying to do something different, different type of offense, and that type of thing. Um, but again, just like you're not going to replicate St- Steph and Clay, like you say, you're not going to rep- replicate um, Anthony Davis as a, you know just a long, you know, extremely talented big guy that create can create a mismatch um, whenever he shows up to play, um, and you know the, the thing with the Lakers is the shelf life. Who knows how long it'll be? Because um, you don't know Alamo's got to stay together. Age is obviously an issue with LeBron um, and health. So um, you got to you got to you know kind of develop a plan. And that and that goes back again to Frank. You know, developing. You know, he developed that group with Roy and and figured out a way to utilize Roy Hibbert. Um, and maximize what he had to offer, um, and that team followed, and it worked. Now you know they're going to have a new coach come in, new new system, and probably some new players. And and how are they going to maximize that, um, and and try to create an advantage? Um, that is seems like a major challenge at this point um, for this team. But um, that's what we're. We have, to, we have to watch and, and hope that
0: they can create. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I really like the point you brought up about Anthony Davis. I mean, um, I think a, a lot of looking at this overall is it's easy to, to, to be focused on the how. Like, okay, Golden State's shooting a lot of threes, even though I would say that is not what made them great. They were you know prolific mid-range shooters as well, and they took the right threes. They, they I don't think they ever led the league in three-point attempts. Um and they, they, but they did lead the league in three point percentage. Just a piece I've worked on. I've, I've talked about it on my own podcast too, and um, not to plug myself. But I think it's just it, it it's easy to get caught up with the how and, and look at things a certain way. But it's important to look at the why. Like why can the Lakers play this way? Because Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in basketball. Even I picked Giannis and for Defensive Player of the Year, even though my vote does not count yet. Um, you know we got we got time. Um. That's right. I mean, after seeing some of the ballots that got, that got put out with Andre Drummond as like defensive player of the year. I think I, you know, I'm, I'm much closer to mm-hmm. having a vote than I anticipated before award season. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's so important to look at the why and, and why a team can do something, not just how they do it, because I think you, you, the context is everything, you know? Um, and so I think it just tying it back in with the Pacers. I mean, like you mentioned with, with Roy Hibbert, I mean, uh, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I may be a prisoner of the moment because I was just so encapsulated with that team. Um, But I mean, Roy Hibbert was in my eyes, the best defensive player in basketball for like a 60 game stretch. Right. Um, Or at least you could say it's interesting to put best or I feel like, a lot of times defensive player of the year is most impactful, you know, like maybe not necessarily the best, but in their role, uh, in their context, they are the best at what they do. And I think it's hard to say that Roy wasn't the biggest deterrent um, in the NBA when he was confident for that, that year and a half span that lasted about 60 games. Um, But I think the point is like, you can, okay. say you plug some, I'm trying to think of some old dude from the 2010s. uh, That was a good shot blocker, like plug, I mean, Serge Ibaka wasn't technically a center then, but you take a guy like Serge Ibaka, they can't play the same way because he doesn't have the same verticality as Roy. And that's, I mean, which is crazy to say, that's just how big Roy was. But like, the, you you get what I'm getting at. Like the, yeah. the, all the pieces and parts that make up your team and, and the way that they can play together is what makes it different. And I think it's, systems are good, but it's important to look at um, everything in a minute base, but then also putting it all together and trying to look at it like that.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, and Roy was a key cog there and, um, and, you know, they changed kind of the way they ruled that verticality because he was so successful and quite frankly, pissing off the bone. So much said, it was like, they eventually kind of made sure that, you know, when you're jumping up straight, you're going straight up and not moving a little bit. Um, but also, you know, it was because Paul George, George Hill, you know, David West, those guys were really good at their part of that defense as well and their length and, they, you know, applied pressure. Um, and then, you know, when they funneled him into Roy, he was there. And, you know, there was time to stone people at the rim. And, and so, um, you know, I just think about some of the blocks he had, you know, obviously Carmelo blocking LeBron. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one was safe going in there. Um, and
0: and no one wanted but, to go in there.
1: Like yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, but it was it was, it, you know, they were good because Roy was back there, and Roy was good because they were out there, you know, being able to extend things, and and he was able to get in position by the time someone got to the rim to to help. So um, again, that's you know maximizing your roster and figuring out a plan to utilize what you got. You know. Mm -hmm. you you got you know these ingredients what are you gonna do with it and um like you said no not everybody's got the the uh prime filet of anthony davis to work with so you gotta figure out what to do sometimes with some different cuts of meat but we have a um, couple
0: porterhouses uh we're looking for a ribeye so yeah exactly
1: um so they, they uh you know that And now it's like, you know, what what are all the ingredients going to be? Plus, who's going to be doing it? So um, that's where the pace is at right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, I will say I I never expected to equate a roster to cuts of meat, but it actually worked pretty well. Um, But, you know, looking at this roster, I think... Oh, dude, me too. I I actually just ate like, you know, a half hour ago, but I'm still hungry. Um, But I mean... And looking at this roster and where they're at, and before we get into the rest of our kind of news dump, I mean, I think I uh, – the more I look at it, I just – I don't know what your thoughts are on things, but I, I really look at – and partially because of that piece that I wrote uh, on Domas, um, but I, the idea of, of Domas with four guys who are interchangeable is the wrong word, but, you know, so four guys who can, who can handle, who can pass, who can shoot, and who can defend. Um, obviously they're all going to do it in different ways and there, you hope that there are a couple guys who can do some things that are at an elite level, but, um, I don't know. I just feel like maybe that's the way that this team tries to differentiate itself and, and, and go towards, um, being something different. Cause I agree. Two bigs is a uh, capiche. We are out on that. I, th- I think there's enough evidence <laughs> there to point otherwise, but, uh, I, I don't know. I th- some people still disagree with us, so we could be, we could be wrong. We just talk about it a lot more than everybody else does. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean that. Kind of what I've been saying a lot is that you know I, I just give me more versatile wing type players who, like you say, can can play wherever. Um, obviously, you need a little some some bigger guys of you know even a little maybe a little longer than TJ Warren who can cover the fours. But if yep. you've got that that active type of and that's kind of what they have with that with that um, Hibbert group behind him was, you know, um, even though David West was definitely a a pretty much a prototypical power forward, but, um, but just the length and the ability to guard, because I think as we've talked about before too, it's like you're going to have this unique, you're looking for this unique style to attack teams that makes you tough to play. um, But you, you've got to be able to be tough at both ends and be able to hang your hat on it. And, you know, like we've seen with the Rockets. And, and in, the, in the playoffs, you've got to be able to, to come up big defensively. We just saw that with the Lakers. Um, and the Heat were, were so good defensively throughout the playoffs. Um, you've got to be able to, to defend. And then, however, you can find new different ways to score and be tough to defend. Um, you know, kind of determines how far you're going to end up going. So, um, but I think having that base, like you say, of, of versatile, interchangeable players, um, is is a really good good place to start.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know, one interesting fact that I do like to point out, I put I I, I went on like a really big deep dive on some historical teams to for that article I wrote and I think there were, I mean, you talk about that, that Pacers team, one thing that I think has to be different for this t- version to get over the hump, because I think it's, it's easiest to point that one, because that's the most successful the team has been since 2004, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that team was really good. And one thing that I guess kind of two points off that, you know, people always talked about Frank as being a good defensive coach, but not a great, you know, uh, offensive coach. And I, I also mm-hmm. would just have to point to what, I mean, where's the offense coming from um i mean young paul george was not super efficient um he wasn't the same prolific shooter that he was now i mean is now um i mean because he went from he was a good shooter in indiana and to like his last year he became an even better shooter but then in oklahoma city i mean he became a prolific high volume shooter um yeah you look at i mean george hill is a nice off ball threat he can run pick and roll um lance stevenson can run pick and roll a little bit uh, he's okay scoring on his own David West can hit anything out to I mean I think he could shoot threes now but he could hit anything out to like 18 feet then um but really there just isn't a ton of offensive creation on that team so I, I that's one thing that I, I think yep. that I, I always come back to and I that, that's why the Evan Turner trade was made right I mean you needed that that offense was I believe that was the uh in the 13 14. I hold on, I have it in my notes. I believe that offense was in the 20s. And it's interesting to point out because my point in talking about this is you have to have balance on both ends, like you mentioned. I think it ultimately, I think it's going to be a more offensive, offensively balanced team or like a more offensive leaning team, um, which mm-hmm. will be definitely different for, for this team, right? Um, but I think there has to be a, obviously finding balance on the defense, end because yeah, you look at in so in 2013 they were 20th in offense and in 14 they were 23rd in offense so obviously not Mm -hmm. great and i think that's what really killed them in the playoffs um but i mean obviously like they had the the number one defense both years but um so i think you look at this team and finding versatility and being able to play both sides at a at at least a high enough level while while being really good on one end
1: yeah absolutely i mean for those teams Crunch time offenses offense was uh, was a struggle. Um, you know, it was like okay, we're a, we're even up, and we we got um, get a bucket, and and it, it was always a, it was always tough to um, for that team to come up with buckets. So, um, and are right, offensive. I mean, you know, Coach Hill was a good offensive player, but he was not consistent. He'd have this, you know, stretches of games where he didn't do much, and then he'd do something, and he'd say, oh yeah, my my teammates really got I me mean, to shoot more, so I did. And it's like, okay, yeah, how about every game? <laughs> well, but, uh, I think
0: I look at it too. It's really <laughs> difficult to have an efficient offense when your one of your primary options is posting Roy Hibbert like 12 times a game, right? Yeah, I mean, Roy was yeah. uh, We're when he was confident, team, yeah. Roy was fine, but I mean, he was in turn. Uh, have you? Yeah. I, I went back and I watched some of that 13 series the amount of times that he double dribbles in the post and doesn't get called for it is like insane. <laughs> it's, it's honestly absurd to go look back on. Um, but, you know, also another random thought, remember how George Hill like just had his, he, he he moved on from Indiana and he had that random blow up season in Utah where he averaged like 18 points per game or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, he has offensive skill and that oh, always yeah. killed me when, when he was here. I mean, he led the state and schooling at Broaderville high school. Um, I was there to see it. I'm not that old, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, you know, and it seemed like he was, he was caught in kind of that, you know, mindset of being a facilitating point guard or should I attack more? And, and it, it was just, um, Kind of funny how, I mean, it was just like every so often he would have a big game and and it would be the same story that, you know, oh, well, they really wanted me to, they've been really getting on me to shoot more. And so yeah. like, why do they have to get on you to shoot more?
0: It's but, kind of um, funny. I feel like, not to interrupt, but I feel like that's one thing that I think this team could use differently or not use uh, to per se, but like uh, a really dynamic guard. You know, I think this, yeah. George Hill is a really good player. Don't get me wrong. He's, I, I consider him an above average player. <laughs> Um, he, Darren Collison was surplus George Hill, you know, and, um, I think, but you look back like all of the point guards of at least the last 20 years, right? I mean, um, Jamal Tinsley, George Hill, uh, Darren Collison, you can throw in some of the guys from the Danny Granger years. I prefer not to, because I don't want to look back at those times. Um, but I mean, you could throw in TJ Ford as well. Um, a name you probably haven't heard in forever. and I hadn't even thought of in forever. In a while. Um, anytime I think of TJ Ford, I think of him in those giant baggy shorts on draft night. Um, have you ever <laughs> yeah. seen that picture? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I think like that's kind of what Malcolm brings. But I also want him off ball more. We've talked about that. But I think this team really needs somebody who's like a dynamic player at point because I mean we've always had, um, or I should say they've always had you know a really quality player who can distribute a little bit who can score a little bit but is not really particularly incredible at one thing you know I think that's uh something that obviously it's it's hard to get those kind of players especially now um but I think that's it's just something that I I look at for sure when looking back historically a little bit
1: uh yeah you know I I mean I think Brodman does a pretty good job of creating shots for himself um but yeah it's doesn't seem like the traditional type of guard you're talking about, um, and then you know when when you pair them with Vic, it's kind of the same thing. So, um, it, not not the best match right there. Um, but who knows? We we'll we'll see what what the future brings with that backcourt.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, before I get caught up talking about TJ Ford's giant baggy shorts again, um, we will move to our news dump. So yesterday. Clevis Murray of the Athletic, I believe he contributes out of the uh, the Boston, uh, Boston. What would you even call it for a for a media thing? Uh, the Boston for the, for the area. Athletic. What? Yeah. Well, yeah, for, yeah, the, for the Athletic Martin. Boston, whatever, like yeah. the, the section of it. Um, but he he reported on the Pacers saying that Mike D'Antoni is still a candidate, according to his sources, and Dave Yeager did not impress in his interview. But, yeah, so also uh, Miami beat, which is part of Blue Wire Pods, um, and they do some writing as well. Uh, they reported today that both Dan Craig and Chris Quinn have interviews set up with the Pacers. So, obviously, that adds quite a bit to the coaching search, and I think there's a lot to dive in there. Um, first of all, looking at Dave Yeager, not impressing, I think that was interesting to see yesterday, especially having that reported out. Um, what, what were your thoughts kind of on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that you know obviously, the the – you know the the I guess the final round of interviews. I don't know where we're at here.
0: It I'm seems like I, I, think, I think
1: face to face. I think we were on the
0: second round final. of computer <laughs> interviews or Zoom interviews or whatever, and then yeah. we're on to the human. I don't know. It's confusing, man. Anything yeah. could happen, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Uh but I, you know, I have find it kind of interesting that he Yeager was you know that somebody laid out information that didn't go well. I'm assuming. That Would be from the Pacers side of things because I don't think Dave Ingram would want to, unless he really didn't want the job. Um, <laughs> we put that out, uh, and you know, it, it's I think we, we've talked about this before, but there's so many guys on this list now, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of interesting. I'm almost wondering if, if Kevin Pritchard really didn't want to fire on Nate McMillan or how that whole thing really went down because you yeah. would think if you were going to get rid of a coach, you already had at least two or three guys that you knew were um, on your short list and also interested and it wasn't going to be – I mean, this has been a pretty public, um, you know, conga line of, of coaches that have uh, been going through the, the Zoom uh, list apparently um and now you know it seemed obvious they were waiting around for the heat to lose so they could talk to um you know quinn and craig and add them to the list but um as uh, somebody on twitter mentioned you know if you have 20 coaching candidates you don't have any and and i'm starting to kind of feel that way it's it's um the volume of guys is has been uh interesting at least those are reported but um uh, at at this point, I guess you know if Mike D'Antoni's still in the in the mix. Um, it it appeared that he he you know after the Philly thing kind of fell through that he he was going to take some time off and, and may, maybe someone down at the field fieldhouse really is in the court of D'Antoni and, and keeping his name alive. Um, who that would be, I don't have no idea. But um, my my thing with all you know a lot of these assistants. And guys who have been working with, with good programs and haven't have a, you know supposedly a, a pedigree of of the um, more of the modern offense uh, NBA at the NBA that Pritchard has talked about um, it's, it's so hard to kind of evaluate who might work and who might not um, when they haven't actually been in that position and you know they're they're going to have something extra I love Frank Vogel with his coming in and bringing the smash-mouth defense um, <laughs> mentality right when he took over. Um, you don't know what might work. And I, I kind of looked at, at similar with the NFL. I've been surprised this year. You know, the NFL, sometimes that happens. Assistants get picked up. You think they're going to be great because they're coming from a great uh, team, and then they don't work out, or they come from a college. A lot of success in college, they don't work out. But sometimes they do. Um, and, and I know Rule in, in Carolina this year has surprised me because that, that team seemed like it was headed nowhere. And then they're bringing in the college coach from Baylor um, that you know had prolific offenses, but it was in the Big 12, not much defense, yada, yada. But they're playing pretty well, uh, considering all the circumstances. So you got to give that guy credit. And maybe, yeah, he, he's, he's going to be a good coach in it. Uh, NFL. So that type of guy, it seems like the Pacers are interviewing several guys that might fall in that category. Um, and it's a matter of, you know, are they going to get the right guy? And um, right now, they got so many to from it. It's kind of uh, almost seems like a, a scary crap. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that's a really great point, Tom. I think one of the things I mean, first of all, I was I was surprised that the or, or not to sound like that. I mean, I don't know Dave Yeager personally, but um, just from everything that that we know that's come out about his tenure with the Kings and with the Grizzlies, I mean, you have to do mm. something pretty uh, pretty extreme to piss off Mark Gasol. I feel like um, you know Mark Gasol reportedly was you know was the main advocate for getting Dave Yeager out of Memphis. Um, I mean, I just was kind of surprised this, this front office really does not like drama. Um, they're pretty tight knit. They've been together for a while. They don't really deal with that. Um, I feel like that's been kind of, you know, at least since I I've been around and following basketball, that's been part of the Pacers. You know, you, you don't, we don't mess around in the front office. We don't mess around with hiring and we don't mess around. We just play basketball, you know? Um, yeah. at least that's my read on it. So I, I was surprised that you got interviewed, but it was also surprising to see that come out. Um, but then also to your point um, about, you know, hiring, not hiring, uh, you know, looking at so many candidates, I think it's a really great point. And um, it's not to talk down in the front office or KP at all, but um, you do wonder, like, did did their, not that their guy already got hired, because I, I don't think that was the issue, but um, you, you, you fire Nate early. You had all this time. And again, this is not me trying to levy stuff on them, but... I, I do wonder how much extending this coaching search, to the length that it has been is, is uh, potentially, I don't want to say dangerous, but um, I mean, it's like it, it just the longer you take to, to cement what you're trying to do, the harder it is to cement what you're trying to do. Like you were saying, you know, sometimes if you have that mm-hmm. many candidates, you don't have any um, because they're I mean, they're getting looked at by other franchises as well. So I, I don't know. It, it's it's uh, it's kind of a conundrum right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I go back to thinking, you know, the, the way Kevin Pitcher kind of talked about Nate um, after the firing, you know, saying, you know, when I looked across the table, he was done, and, and you know, Nate's comments, you know, at least to the media after that didn't really support that. But I mean, he kind of felt like it, it sounded like he didn't think he – should be fired, but again, you know, if he's looking to get hired again in another place, he's going to say that maybe maybe he was done with this group or at least he and and KP came to that realization that, you know what, they're going to need someone different. I I can't get them to go any further. (coughs) Excuse me. To go any further. um, So, you know, maybe it would be wise to make a change. I mean, heck, he's getting paid, he, you know, um, there's a lot of things that, that go unsaid with the media or, you know, aren't necessarily um, crystal clear, clear truth with how things went down. So, um, and, and so maybe that, you know, KP wasn't ready to make a change and, you know, and obviously maybe Herb, Herb Simon was the one that, that forced it. Um, but, regardless, uh, you know, now they're, they're going through all these guys and, and um, even the second, you know, final, whatever interview we're on um, seems like there's a lot of guys still in the mix, um, you know, with all those assistants. And then you got a guy like Chauncey Phillips who's very intriguing, um, but also a gamble. And, um, you know, the dice are, the dice are being rolled down there at the Fieldhouse house right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, it's, I'm not really sure what to think. Um, I mean, I, I think ultimately maybe we're just overanalyzing stuff because we don't have anything else to do oh, right now and that the basketball's done. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're definitely doing that. I think we're always doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think I keep coming back to what would be different for this team. You know, I think what would, what would be the least Pacers thing to do? You know, would it be to hire a super proven coach in Mike D'Antoni or would it be to go get, someone like Chauncey Billups to come leave the team. And I think I lean more towards, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, but I think I lean a lot more towards getting a guy who isn't proven yet, you know, uh, letting somebody establish a track record in, in Indiana and bringing in new ideas and new philosophies. And, I, you know, Mike D'Antoni would do the same. And I think I'd be happy regardless, you know, if he got hired, I think uh, I just want to see some some decision happen soon so that we, we kind of have more to go off of. And that's just me being a little selfish, and wishing that I, I had some sense of direction, what's going to happen? Because I'm antsy, but um, I don't know what. What are your thoughts on on, on who you'd want right now, or um, who you think would be the best fit?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, like I like I mentioned, with all those different um, guys, that w- we don't have a track record on. Um, it, it's really hard to make a definitive, you know, choice or or favorite. I guess. I mean, I would love, you know, I would love to get one of the heat guys, because if they can um, bring some of that um,
0: toughness. Don't say, it. And, Don't and say cult. heat culture. Don't say heat culture. The,
1: the, <laughs> not the whole heat culture, but it wouldn't be the heat culture, but they, they do have a method in a madness down there with the, you know, the fitness they expect and the, yeah. and the approach they expect. Um, and that would not be a bad thing. I wouldn't mind, um, you know, Nate George and, um, and, with the Raptors and, and what, you know, he's worked with, with Nick and He's also, you know, you know, paid his dues in the G league. And I'm sure would, you know, be a good coach on the NBA level and, and love to, um, ha- put his, his, um, imprint on a team and, and use all his ideas that he's learned through the various stops. Um, a guy like that, you know, just has immense experience in, of all, different types of situations. So um, if you get the right player development guys in there with them, that to me is intriguing as well. Um, and then there's a guy like, you know, Chauncey Billups with the, the, um, you know, he, he has a PhD in NBA hoops, you know, yeah. with the Pistons playing point guard and, and leading teams to championships. So, um, and I'm sure he has ideas on how, you know, championship groups should be formed, and, and that's intriguing to me. So, um, like you said, they, they're, they're, we, we, there's so many guys right now in, in the mix that um, once you start checking some of these guys off, um, it, it'd be interesting to see who, who they end up with. But, uh, I, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't really have a favorite right now because there's so many out there. If there hasn't been a, a guy that I'd be like, oh, my God, he's, he's my top guy. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it, I feel like they all have a little something that is intriguing and like, Ooh, if we could dig into that part of this guy, <laughs> his expertise and add that, um, you know, it, it all, almost becomes, okay, that's great. But now, uh, I'm ready to see what is this guy going to be working with and how are they going to uh, adjust the roster, uh, for this new coach. So, yeah. um, and that matters as well. It's like. It's you know, we're assuming they're going to hire a coach before the draft in mid-November and free and agency and all that. Uh, um, so all those moves will be made with this guy in mind, whoever this guy will be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's it's funny because we we got asked about that in our last mailbag pod. I think it was Spree Goose. I don't want to um, misquote. I believe it was Spree Goose um, asked us if, you know, uh, we thought, it, you know, what kind of order would there be? Would there be you figure out the roster first and then you get a coach or you get a coach first and then, you know, maybe he helps with roster decisions or something like that. And I think ultimately it just comes down to like, I think it's a cop out answer, but I think solidifying your direction is the most important. And whether that's getting a coach first or figuring out the roster first, like that's the point. You know, you have to have the direction yes. down. I think uh, getting into a car and not you know i i don't need the gp just for the sake of my uh, analogy you don't need the <laughs> the uh, the map for everything but you need to know where you're going you can't just hop on the highway and be like okay well you know maybe we'll get there well um i think that's what i look at with this team and i'm sure they're doing it uh the right way but i i would definitely lean towards you you should probably get a coach first and and have him be a, a part of the brain trust because if you're, you're bringing in a coach that you don't really um not that you wouldn't care what they have to say about the roster but like if they're not on the same board as you, then like, what are we doing here? You know?
1: Yeah. And also, you know, it goes to, okay, is, is this coach going to be good with our worst case scenario?
0: Whatever that may be. Yeah. Uh, everybody. If we back, run it back, you know, like if certain, we run it back, yeah, is this the right. coach for that team? Right.
1: Um, can, he, can he manage that? And, and and you
0: could argue if we run it back, the coach for the team will be the guy who got fired. But, you know, that's, we're there. <laughs> but um, uh Yeah alas um well tom before we get out of here one last thing um free agency it is not 100 percent but there was a report yesterday that it could potentially start on december 1st so we mm-hmm. have a lot more pods coming up before then tom
1: oh yeah also
0: one really quick exciting thing um that i i, I forgot to text it to you earlier so i'll break it to you on the pod we were uh, a top 150 basketball podcast uh, this past week. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Thank you to everyone uh, who has been listening. Oh, hell, and Mark
1: Chandler, man, is a beast. He's oh, come on. Some hard I love it. it.
0: I love it. I'm trying my best. Congrats. Yeah, no, That's I just want to you. say thank you to everyone who's uh, helping us out. We've done some pretty awesome things uh, since we got started, what, six months ago now? I think it was six yeah, months. We, did, it, we it probably was, did our first podcast together like six months in like a week or two It ago, was
1: at so the worst time to possibly try to It was at get the worst possible in the time ever, but...
0: Yeah, but hey, it uh, worked out all right, great. Right. Now we're rolling. We are definitely rolling. Uh, well, Tom, you got anything else to, to to add in before we get out of here?
1: No, one thing, one just a little negative, something to ruminate on, and you know maybe we can talk about it later and see how it goes. But you know, there's a little report that from uh, Jay Michael that Victor and the Pacers were chatting uh, the other day uh, about what specifically we don't know, but um, then there was a you know, Pacer's Instagram put out some cool um, painting type, I don't know, They look maybe they're computer-generated pictures that included Victor today. Victor put those out as well and also showed himself working out. So um, we're seeing a little bit of uh, signs of life from Vic. What that means, I have no idea. But uh, just something to continue to follow. You got to love social media.
0: Yes, I'm waiting for uh, for Jay to put out something uh, on the indie Star. I know he's coming off a of vacation, but uh, I am uh, I'm eagerly awaiting. That is for damn sure. So I'm I'm sure we will see something <laughs> soon. Um, but we'll definitely be back in a day or two to talk more about it. Um, Tom, thanks for coming on. To everyone listening again, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Um, if you did oh, already, one more thing. One more thing. Oh wait, what's the second thing?
1: Happy birthday! Shout out Jameel Neal. He's four. Oh yes.
0: With- the makes big me feel
1: really old. Not you. He's old. Forty-three. So, happy birthday, Jo. Forty-two.
0: Forty-two. Okay, so it's makes me feel old. <laughs> so. Makes you feel. I was like, that doesn't make me feel old. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, right, yes. Yeah, so very happy Sorry. birthday, Jermaine O'Neal. You will have to come on the podcast sometime. Um, go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere else you can. And read us on Indy Cornrows. Be sure to shoot us any questions, comments, or feedback. It's always appreciated. We'll probably be doing a mailbag pod again soon because we still have a lot of stuff to talk about, and we always love your questions. So, uh, you know, have a good rest of your day. Go Pacers.